ピッチャーの前おおランナー2人でも帰ってくるはい、folks、welcome back to the Raikin Japan podcast. I am your host, the Yaku Cosmopolitan, and I can't believe it, but we're already in the month of August. Time absolutely flies, and time certainly has been flying in MPB this season because we're already two thirds through the year, only two months remaining in the regular season, and then it's playoff time, and then it's time to crown a winner. So, how about that? On today's agenda, we'll talk about Tyler Austin's return to the Yokohama DNA Bay Stars. Then we'll talk about Munetaka Murakami again because he's just having a historic season.、Uh, then we'll consider the possibility of double headers in MPB. And then we'll finish off with a little segment I call the good, the bad, and the weird, where I name my good point for the week, bad point for the week, and weird point for the week. So without further ado, let's get started by talking about Tyler Austin. So Tyler Austin over the offseason signed a three year extension. Uh, with the base stars worth around seven and a half million dollars. Now, Austin, his first two seasons in Japan were a great success.、Uh, he posted, you know, a 154 weighted runs created plus in his first season in 2020, and then a 176 weighted runs created plus in 2021. So his collective weighted runs created plus over his MPB career is 168. I mean, that is the definition of an impact bat. But the only knock on Austin has been that、uh, he has had trouble staying healthy. He's had trouble staying on the field. And this season, right out of the gates in spring training, he felt some discomfort in his right elbow and he had to go back to the US to get surgery on it in April. And here we are. He's already missed more than half of the year. But, you know, better late than never. And the Bay Stars really need his help because, you know, on paper, the Bay Stars have a pretty explosive offense, certainly with、uh, Keita Sano is having an excellent year. Shugo Maki is having an amazing year, although、uh, he's been in a slump over the last month and a half. Uh, Neftali Soto, Toshiro Miyazaki. They have a lot of、uh, really good bats in that lineup, but it has been underperforming what I think their true potential is. And a big part of that is because they've kind of constructed the team to have Austin at the center of the order in the cleanup spot. And, you know, he hasn't been there this season. So the Bay Stars、uh, collect- collectively, their right fielders this season have a weighted runs created plus of 91. So, their right fielders are slashing 254, 315, 363, which you know, isn't bad. It's only 9% below league average, but it certainly is no Austin. Austin is 68% above league average for his career. So, being able to slot Austin into the lineup、uh, this late into the season is huge. I mean, it's just, there's no way, no way around it. He is an actual game changer. As for the Bay Stars, their, their entire outfield situation in general,、uh, Keita Sano was playing first base a lot early in the season when, when Neftali Soto was hurt.、Um, Sano, that's probably his best position. His outfield defense is honestly awful. But when Soto's at first base, you have to put Sano in the corners.、Um, and then Masayuki Kuahara is their center fielder. He had a great offensive season last year. Not so much this year, but you know, he's about average, a little bit below average, and he plays great defense. So you have to have him. 
And that means uh, Taishi Kusumoto, Taiki Sekine, and Tatsuo Ebina will be getting the boot. Uh, they'll be getting a lot less playing time now with Austin coming back. Honestly, all of them have shown some, some promise, uh, especially Ebina. He had a great start to the season. It looked like he was having a breakout year, but he's cooled down lately. So again, better late than never. Time for Austin to uh, slot into the lineup and, you know, I don't know how many home runs he can hit in, in this two-month span, but knowing him, he could probably post up 15 to 20. I mean, he's a as long as he stays healthy, of course, we have to always preface that. Um, over 173 career games in MPB so far, he's generated 6.8 war, um, which is about a 5.2 war pace per 143 games, which is what a full season in Japan is. So even in just two months' time, he can probably contribute to at least two whole wins for this uh, Bay Stars team. Moving on, let's talk about Munetaka Murakami. So Munetaka Murakami just had uh, another insane series against the Hanshin Tigers right out of the gates from the All-Star break. And he finished it off on Sunday, July 31st by having a three-home run game. So... And he did it in three consecutive plate appearances, which is insane. Uh, he had a game-tying home run in the ninth inning, and then he had a two-run homer in the uh, 11th inning. So that gives him 37 bombs for the season and an OPS of uh, 1149 with a WRC plus of 218. So right now is 143 game pace, uh, 94 games into the season at this point in time. He's on pace for 157 hits, 21 doubles, 56 home runs, which would be a record for a Japanese-born player, 6 grand slams, 103 runs, 145 runs batted in, 347 total bases, 14 stolen bases, 116 walks, 123 strikeouts, 9.7 wins above replacement, and 8.9 win probability added. So again, he's having an absolutely historic season. And considering that the balls are deadened in MPB this year, you have to begin to consider that this might be one of the greatest offensive seasons of all time. Uh, last season, right or last year, right around this time, I did a video on my YouTube channel looking at what is the greatest season in MPB history for a hitter. And I settled on Sadaharu O's 1966 or Sadaharu O's 1974. And uh, his OPS plus those years was around the 250 mark. So again, Murakami is approaching uh, 220, even approaching 230. So um, he's not that far off from like literally the best season of all time. 56 home runs in this era is insane. You know, you, in, in Japan, it's rare to have a 50 home run season. There's only been a handful uh, in these last two decades. And you haven't had one since Vladimir Ballantin broke the record with 60 homers in 2013. So even if he breaks the 50 milestone, it's going to be enormous. But if he hits 56 and tops uh, Sadaharu O's Japanese record, that would be all the more insane and you know murakami's season is actually kind of comparable to aaron judge in mlb because aaron judge is what he's on pace for like 65 66 home runs at this point in time if murakami played in mlb he would be on pace for 64 homers over 162 games and judge also has this thing where he's not going to top bonds's record he's not going to top the 73 but he can top you know the the non-steroid record if you will he can top mcguire he can top sosa he can top mantle or uh, maris rather
So both of these guys, you know, halfway across the world are having, you know, adjacently amazing seasons. So let's keep watching Munetaka Murakami because he is honestly the most exciting player to watch in Japan at this point in time. And by the way, I get asked this all the time. When is he going to MLB? You know, I want to just not talk, not think about that and appreciate him for what he's doing in Japan right now. But if you must know, I would say the likely year that he goes over is 2026. I mean, it's possible that it's a little bit earlier. Completely depends on how ambitious he is about going to MLB. I mean, if he begs the Yukult Swallows to post him over the next two or three years, then maybe they'll post him. But um, of course, Murakami is a different beast. He is, again, he's in the camp with Suzuki and Matsui, um, much more so than a guy like Tsutsugo or, or Akihama, guys who didn't go over until um, their their late 20s or, or 30s even for Akiyama. So Murakami, I would say, uh, if he is going to go to MLB, which he has expressed some ambitions of doing, the likely year would be 2026, but you can never be sure. Okay, now, doubleheaders and MPBs. So MPB is considering having doubleheaders because of all the canceled games uh, due to the COVID outbreaks. And, you know, this was most apparent with the Yomiri Giants who just missed, I mean, two weeks. They haven't played a game since July 20th. Obviously, you have the All-Star break thrown in there too, but they missed... Uh, I think they missed like three series now. Uh, they'll be going back to action tonight against the Hanshin Tigers at the Tokyo Dome. And I'm actually going to be going to the game on Thursday. So hopefully no more cancellations because I'd love to I'd love to watch the game in peace. But um, yeah, the, the Giants had an especially bad outbreak. We talked about this the last ep episode. So many teams dealing with a COVID outbreak, which is just unfortunate. But COVID is peaking in Japan at this point in time. It's the worst it's ever been here. And I think COVID is, there's there's more cases in Japan at this point than anywhere in the world. So hopefully that, you know, the wave uh, starts to go down again very soon and we won't have to deal with this for the rest of the season, um, at least not to this extent. But it's really sad. Uh, the Giants had like 70 players and staff test positive. I mean, that's just, that's bad. Um, but, you know, when we're talking about the world of professional sports, there's a job to do here. You have to play out the 143-game schedule, and you eventually run out of time to just start, you know, sticking games on Mondays and at the at the uh, at the end of the season. You know, you you can't just put like three weeks worth of games at the end of the season if that's how many games are canceled. So you have to begin to look into the idea of double headers. Which, if this is MLB. You think, you know, that's completely normal. That's completely logical. Double headers are just a part of the game. But Japan hasn't had double headers since 1998. Literally in two decades, you haven't had a single double header played, as far as I know, at, at the professional level. Because it used to be pretty common way back in the day, much like it was in MLB. But, you know, double headers are not good for players' health. And um, they also don't like it for the, the marketability, I guess. Um if MPB has to do this, this would basically be a worst case scenario. Uh, it's not something that they've decided on quite yet. Uh, I don't think, I think if they just stick a bunch of games on Mondays, because again, all teams have Monday off. Monday is kind of supposed to be the travel day, but it's also a day to make up canceled games. You still have enough time left in the season where if you just stuck a game, a canceled game on, on every Monday and then you, you know, had one week left at the one extra week to play makeup games at the end of the season, you would be able to make it up. But if there's any more canceled games, then 
you know, you might have to begin to look into the possibility of double headers, which uh, would not be ideal, but it would also be kind of cool to watch double headers in MPV for the first time uh, in the in the 2000s. Okay, now let's do uh, let's finish off with the good, the bad, and the weird, and let's go in, let's go in reverse order of how we usually do it. We usually start with the good, but we'll start with the weird. The weird point for me is that nobody is able to separate themselves in the standings this year. Apart from the Swallows, of course. The Swallows are after that comeback victory against the Tigers. You know, they were on the verge of getting swept, so big victory for for them, big victory for Munitaka Murakami, really. He was the guy who drove in all four runs. But the Swallows are 10 games up on second place, so you can pretty much say the pennant is locked. But, you know, the, the entire playoff picture is is uh unknown you have only three games separating second place and fifth place and you only have five games now separating second place and last place in the central league so the Hanshin tigers are one game over 500 they're in second place the carp and the Bay stars are tied for third both three games under 500 the giants are in fifth five games under 500 and the chunichi dragons are in sixth nine games under 500 but they just swept the hiroshima carp so they got some momentum on their side uh and again it's just like you know the tigers they started the season just awful and they've been really good since then so you would expect the tigers at this point in time are one of those teams that will be able to um hang in hang in there and finish in second place which is exactly where the teams finished last year so that would be you know, a pretty good indication that the Swallows and the Tigers are the two best teams in the Central right now if they both finish one and two respectively back-to-back -back seasons. But even so, it's just like, I don't watch any of these teams other than the Swallows and think, yeah, this team's this team's great. This team can compete with the Swallows. Um, I will say that from a fan perspective, Swallows fans seem to fear the Tigers the most. Whenever I'm on the plane, uh, the, the train, not the plane, the train coming home late at night, um, I go by close to where the, the Yakult Swallows play at Jingu Stadium. So I see a lot of Swallows fans sometimes coming home after the game. And if I overhear their conversation, conversations, they're always talking about the Hanshin Tigers. Hanshin wa yabayune. Like they're scared of the Hanshin Tigers. Um, because of that elite pitching i mean they have a 2.53 team era i mean that's nuts so the tigers uh i i guess in a short playoff series would be the team to fear for the yakult swallows because if anybody can shut down that elite offense that the swallows have it would be the tigers um the carp have been you know a feisty team all season long again i go back and forth on this team because they just have waves of being you know they're showing so much promise and then they completely fall off and they look dead but then they somehow come back from the dead again. So I don't know what to, what to really think about the Carp. Their starting rotation is solid. Their offense is solid, but they lack power. Their bullpen's pretty bad. Uh, the, the base stars, their pitching has improved greatly over the past couple of months. And like I said, with the return of Austin, uh, I think... You know, I, I've thought the Bay Stars are a playoff team all season long, but with the return of Austin especially, I, I, I think I'm going to put my money on them. And then the Yomiri Giants, they had such a great start and they've completely collapsed since then. I just don't like how um, Hara manages this team. I don't think it fits their style at all. ton of power in that lineup, but they're not very cohesive. And the pitching is the worst in 
all of MPB at this point. They're the only team in Japan with an ERA over four. So they have to improve that or else they're not going anywhere. And the Chunichi Dragons, as always, their offense is horrible. Although, as we'll talk about soon, um, they have got they have been better lately. But yeah, again, I don't I don't look at any team in the Central League other than the Swallows and think that put it this way, you can find a pretty big flaw with any of them. And it's kind of the same thing in the Pacific League where only a, a game and a half separates first place and fourth place now, which is, you know, astonishing. Three and a half games separating first place and fifth place. Nippon Ham Fighters really the only team completely out of it. They're 12 and a half games out. But uh, the Lions are currently in first after going two and one against the Hawks the last series. They're a half game up on them. And then it's the Buffaloes um, in third, the Eagles in fourth, and the Marines in fifth. And again, the, the the Lions in first place are only six games over 500. I mean, that's not particularly good. All these teams are just hovering a little bit above 500, um, which, you know, it means they're better than 500, but it means they're not particularly good. They're not able to separate themselves in any way. The Soft Bank Hawks early in the season and the Rockets and Eagles were uh, way above 500, you know, 15, 20 games above 500, but they've completely fallen off since then. Hawks have dealt with a lot of injuries this season, but... Um, still no excuse, you know, for how much money they have, for how much depth they have for them to not be running away with the pennant. I mean, again, in, in a diluted field, much like you had last season, the Pacific League was pretty diluted, which is why I think Oryx was really able to um, finally take home the pennant. But, you know, I think the Hawks should definitely be better. Their pitching has been a bit iffy at times and their offense has been good, but certainly not to where you would um, expect them to be. Oryx and Lotte have that elite pitching. Um, the Buffaloes, that's why I've thought that they would be a playoff team all season long. That starting rotation, the big three with Yamamoto, Yamaoka, and Miyagi is just too strong. The Marines, once Sasaki uh, is fully integrated back into that rotation, I think they're going to take off. Uh, and the Rocket and Eagles, I mean, I like them offensively more so than the Buffaloes and the Marines because Hidato Asamura, Hiroaki Shimauchi, Rosuke Tatsumi, um, those guys are all uh, good, but, you know, they just haven't looked that great the last couple of months, and their starting rotation is pretty old. It's pretty vet veteran-heavy, he um, so I don't see much new life in that uh, pitching staff. And then the Lions, again, the Lions, I talked about them a couple episodes ago about their pitching. They do have the best ERA in the league, but their peripherals are middle of the pack, they don't get many strikeouts. They walk quite a few guys. They win basically purely off their defense. They have the best defense by far in the league, especially that middle infield with uh, Shuta Tonosaki and Sosuke Genda. That is truly elite. Those are two of the best fielders, not just at their position, but in the entire league. Neither of them are very good hitters, but um, they're excellent uh, defensively. And then for the longest time, they had just a one-man show with Hotaka Yamakawa. Um, you know, he has 30 home runs now, so he was really just carrying the team on his back. But lately, after Tomiya Mori came back from his injury, he's been really good. Uh, Brian O'Grady has been hitting for power. So they're getting contributions from, you know, all sorts of places. I just don't look at them and think this is a pennant-winning team. But, you know, I'm starting to think that this team is probably going to make the playoffs just because they've consistently been there um, at the top now and then uh, again the hawks uh, yuki yanagita has been pretty disappointing but if he starts to go off again he can put the team on his back and um maybe get them over the hurdle but yeah that's about it 
this is kind of becoming a regular thing now where just every week I'm just like, you know, amazed at how the standings just are. They don't really move. I mean, teams switch places. They're leapfrogging each other in the standings. But at the end of the day, they're only separated by a couple of games. So that's definitely a weird point for me for the week and not just the week before the entire season. But it's also an exciting point because I don't think we've seen a pennant race like this or a playoff race like this in quite a while. And I expect it to come down all the way to the wire um, as seasons end. Okay, let's talk about uh, my bad point for the week now. My bad point for the week, or again, this is more this is more so a season point than a week point, but um, I really noticed it with the with the Swallow series this past uh, weekend. The Haunching Tigers catching situation is a problem. They have a collective weighted runs created plus this season of 30. Their catchers are hitting 186, 251, 229. I mean, that's only slightly better than you would expect from from pitchers. You know, you can't be 70% below average offensively, um, even at a position like catcher, you know. And this comes down to uh, Ryutaro uh, Umeno. Seishiro Sakamoto and I get I guess uh, Kenya Nagasaka as well but yeah Umeno he's great defensively but over the past couple of years his offense has really dipped uh, Sakamoto hasn't shown much promise of late and uh, you know I haven't seen enough of Nagasaka to say but um, the problem with catcher of course is that you can't really bring in a foreigner because of the communication issue Ariel Martinez of the Chunichi Dragons is really the only He's, he was the first foreign catcher um, to make it to MPB in like a couple decades. And, you know, he spent a couple of years down on the on the Dragons farm to sort of uh, get to know the pitchers. So you can't just bring in a catcher from overseas. At least you wouldn't think you can. So the, the Tigers catching situation, I think, is a big issue because it's basically like having two pitchers in the lineup offensively at eight and nine. You just have they're just getting no production. Um, from the catching position, you know, I think they're going to have to improve that over the course of the year. And then uh, let's finish off with a good point. The good point is Pedro Ravilla's debut for the Chunichi Dragons. So Pedro Ravilla, after he signed with the Chunichi Dragons a couple of months ago, he only spent a week on the farm, which was a bit surprising because the Dragons tend to like to get to, like to give their foreigners a bit more time on the farm to um, get used to Japanese baseball, and then they you know, send them up. But um, he only spent a week on the farm, didn't even have particularly good results, but he hit a home run in Hiroshima in his debut game for his first career hit in Japan. And he's gone three for seven so far in his uh, MPB career through two games. He's a big fellow. He's, uh, you know, only five foot eight, but he's 220 pounds. And in the 2021-2022 season with Guantanamo in the Cuban National Series, he hit 313, 423, 645 with 26 home runs. I believe he won the home run title down there with a 1068 OPS. So um, um, he joins Ariel Martinez, Rydal Martinez, Yario Rodriguez, and Diane Vichiedo as the Cubans now up on the up on the top team. And this does make me wonder if Revilla becomes sort of a um, you know, established bat now on the in this lineup. What's going to happen to Ariel Martinez? Because Ariel Martinez has been good. You know, he's been he hasn't been out of this world, but he's been putting up a you know a a low eight hundreds OPS now. 
this season. But Diane Vichieto has been red hot. He had a three-homer game himself this past week. And you begin to wonder if Ariel Martinez is going to be in this team's plans going forward. Because again, he's a catcher. He can play outfield, but that's kind of where they're putting Revilla right now. And they just, they're not going to have room for him. If they have Vichieto, who they locked up for three years last offseason, and then they have Rydal Martinez and Yario Rodriguez, the two pitchers, you definitely need to have them. They're just locked down in the bullpen. Uh, Rydal Martinez, one of the best closers in Japan, and Yario Rodriguez, ever since he moved from the rotation to the bullpen, has been just on fire. Um, they also have a bunch of other foreigners, uh, other Cubans that they signed um, a couple uh, off-seasons ago, but they're still pretty young, so it's going to take them time to develop. But yeah, Ariel Martinez kind of seems like the odd man out at this point. Uh, but w- again, we'll see. Pedro Revilla, this is only two games that we've seen from him. He's a guy that is going to strike out a lot. We know that. So let's just see if he's able to consistently maintain this. But it's it's definitely good for Chunichi because they are lacking offensively, to say the least. They've been lacking offensively for at least the last half decade, but honestly longer than that. They haven't made the playoffs in a decade. So they need they always need all the offensive help they can get. And so bringing in Pedro Revilla to be sort of this bopper in the middle of the lineup along with Diane Vichieto, uh, it could be a game changer for them. I don't think this season, but looking forward um, to next season and beyond, it's definitely good for Chinichi. So that just about does it, folks. Uh, Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.